Well, thanks very much. Um, nice to be with you. Thanks for the welcome. A lot of you won't know me um, because it's been a long time and uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of change. Um, but very nice to be with you and um, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy. I'm, I'm giving you a kind of two-minute intro to Deuteronomy. And I've, got, I've basically got one point, and that is it's really helpful to know kind of where you are in the Bible. Um, this might be... If, if you know the Bible well, this will be very, very familiar to you. Um, forgive me if that's, your case, if that's the case. Um, if you don't, then obviously the Bible starts with creation and then rebellion against God and, and the fall... And then the agenda of the Bible is set by these promises God makes to Abraham. And he promises him a great people. We got that? Yeah, great people. Wonder, that's lots of people. Wonderful land and a relationship with God. And that, those promises kind of set the agenda for the rest of the Bible. And it's very helpful as you read the Old Testament to keep those promises in mind because it helps you ask, how should I understand what's going on here? So, for instance, um, we move on in the Bible to Exodus, and, and the people of God expand. There's, there's lots and lots of them, but they're in Egypt, and they're slaves. So, in terms of the promise, you can say, oh, well, God's fulfilling his promise in one way, because there's lots of people, and that's what he promised, but they're in the wrong place, and they're under the wrong ruler. And then God acts to bring them out of Exodus, um, and he brings them to himself at Sinai, or in a minute when we hear Deuteronomy read, it's called Horeb, same place. And he there enters a relationship with him. He gives, him, gives them his law, and um, he says, I'll be your God, you're my people. They, they enter a relationship. Um, so we've now got lots of people, and we've got a relationship with God, but they're in the wrong place. They're in the desert. They're not in a wonderful land. So they then come to the edge of the land. And God says, here's a wonderful land for you to have. Now, this is where it gets a bit more um, Deuteronomy specific. What happens with that first Exodus generation, they come out, they come to the land, and God says, here's the land, let me give you the third part of the promise. And they send some spies in, they see the opposition are pretty big, and they say to God, no, no, I won't go in. And God then says, you then, you, okay, you won't have the land. You're going to wander around the desert until you've all died. That generation has all died out. And then we'll do this again. And that's what happens. And we'll, we'll, we'll see that in a minute. When, they, when they've all died out and the second generation is there, Moses, uh, God brings them back to the land. And Moses then says, let me tell you a few things. Verse 1, the first few verses of Deuteronomy, we get told these are the words of Moses. Or verse 3, we get told this is what God commanded him. Or verse 5, we get told he expounded the law to them. They're standing on the edge of the land and Moses gives them a pretty long sermon, three sermons really. And he's preparing them to go into the land. So in Deuteronomy, they don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. There's no, there's no actual action in Deuteronomy. They talk about stuff that's happened. They talk about stuff that's going to happen, but they're just standing still, getting a pep talk before they go into the land. Now for us, um, and, and kind of in Bible thought, if you like, the land in the Old Testament, that's like a picture 
of heaven or, or the new creation. That's the promised land that we are going to. And so Moses' sermon for us, in a way, is saying, Do you want to, you're on the edge of the land. You're going to that. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to, to, to my advice, to my warnings, to my instructions. This is how you're going to get to the promised land. This is how you should, should live now, and this is how you're going to enter it. And so that's what we're going to get over the next two weeks from me and, and more weeks from Jeremy um, as we go through Deuteronomy. Here are lessons of getting to that land. And we'll have the first one in a minute. Thank you. So we're going to start uh, with Deuteronomy chapter 1, found on page 178 of the Red Pew Bibles. And different to the service sheet, we're reading the whole chapter, so verses 1 to 46. So that's Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting at verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edre had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers, so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding and respected men from each of your tribes and I will set them over you. You answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly, whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you. Do not show partiality in judging, hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time I told you everything you were to do. 
Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we, we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected twelve of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the, saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you did, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he has set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, and said, You shall not enter it either. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who you do not yet know, good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn round and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. The 
Sophie, thanks for reading and uh, doing very well on all the names. Now, to get us into this, let me tell you about um, a bloke called um, Steve Wozniak. He worked for Hewlett Packard, the computer company. Um, and in his spare time, he and a friend designed a new type of computer. And one day, Wozniak said to HP, um, I've, this is what I've designed. What do you think? Do you want to take this on? Do you want, do you want to run with this? And um, HP listened and looked and thought and then said, no. So Wozniak and his friend started their own company, and they called it Apple. And his friend was Steve Jobs. And HP looked back on that decision as the worst decision they ever made. It's certainly the most expensive decision they ever made. And my question for us is, what's the worst decision we could ever make? It depends how you're going to measure it. Um, we often think things are bad because of the consequences they have. You know, we something goes wrong in a relationship, we do something wrong in a relationship, and, and there's a lot of fallout, um, relationally speaking, or we make a mistake at work and we miss out on a promotion or that kind of thing. But, of course, things aren't just bad because of their consequences. We could, um, we could tell a lie, and actually that's got very good consequences for us. Um, it goes well for us. But the thing in and of itself was wrong. So things can be wrong in their consequences, or they can be wrong in their kind of essence, if you like. Some things are wrong in both senses, you know, adultery, murder. Um, they're, they're, they're terrible things in and of themselves, and they have terrible consequences. Well, Moses starts his sermon by talking about the worst thing we could ever do in essence and in consequence. And he talks about it because he knows we could do it. He knows it's in us to do this. And so he preaches to warn us, to encourage us, to, to argue with us, to say as, he, as strongly as he can, don't, don't do it. And the way he argues and warns us is to tell us some history. Um, I'm going to run through that history and sort of tell the story. And then we're going to stop and sort of reflect and pause on, what, draw out what, what should we learn from this? What is it he's saying? So let's run through the story. He starts with a generation that came out of Egypt, verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, you have stayed here long enough, break camp and advance into the hill country. Uh, where are they going? Verse 8, go in and take possession of the land the Lord sw he swore he would give you your fathers and their descendants after them. So they've met God at Sinai, now they're going to go and take the land, as I mentioned earlier. If you jump on to verse 19, that's where the narrative sort of carries on. As the Lord commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites and we reached Kadesh Barnea. And we then get the story of how they sent spies into the land to check it out. And they discover that the people living in the land are huge and the cities have massive walls. So verse 26, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. God said, go in, take the land, I'm giving it to you, here's the third part of the promise. 
they looked at the opposition and said no. Moses tries to persuade them, verse 29, I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. Verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. God says, trust and obey me, and they think, they look, they consider, and they say no. Verse 34, when the Lord God heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers. The Israelites then make matters worse by saying, oh, okay, we will go and fight. And God says, no, don't, you'll get beaten. And they do go and fight and they do get beaten and they run away. Chapter 2, verse 21, we're told, for a long time we made our way round the hill country of Seir. And it was a long time. It was about 38 years. Um, Verse 24, we pick up the narrative again. 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. So they rebelled against God's command and God promised, none of you will enter the land. You're all going to die in the desert, that first generation. And that is what happens. The whole generation die outside the land. And now God says to their children, the second generation, let's go back to the land. Let's do this again. And so in chapter 2 and 3, we get them starting their journey. Um, They pass a few relatives, some descendants of Esau and Lot. We're going to come back to them. We're told they defeat two kings. We'll come back to them. And they're now on the edge of the land. And that's where, as they're standing, as Moses gives them this talk. And as you've picked up, I expect already, his basic point is... Trust God and go and take the land. That's what he's saying to them. God's promised you the land. Trust and obey that promise. Or to put it the other way around, as God speaks to you, don't say no. Well, there's the history. And I'm going to draw some things out in a minute. But just before I do that, you might be... If, if you're following what I'm saying, which, you know, is a, is a, might be a high bar, um, you might be a bit confused how Moses is phrasing this. So, for instance, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, The Lord said to us at Horeb, or, or Sinai, you have stayed here long enough. Well, the people listening to him in Deuteronomy probably thought... What do you mean the Lord said to us at Sinai? I wasn't born then. That's my parents you're talking about. That's that first generation who came out of Egypt and then met him at Sinai and then sent the spies in and then then wouldn't go into the land, then wandered around the desert and died. And now it's us. So why are you saying you, the Lord said to you? I mean, Moses is pretty old. Maybe he's doing that old thing, that old person thing, mixing up the parents with the children. 
But Moses isn't confused. In fact, throughout the history lesson, he constantly talks to the children, the second generation, as though they were the first generation, as though they were there at Sinai, as though they sent the spies into the land, as though they rebelled. It's all first person. It's all you heard, you did, you said. And I think his point is, they're the same as their parents. They could say no to God, just like their parents did. It's like he's saying, um, I'll talk to you as though you were the ones there and said no to God, so you might kind of, you might feel the reality of this, you might kind of get this, and learn from this now, today. In fact, um, today comes quite a lot in Deuteronomy. That's 60 times. Today I say to you. Today I command you. Today remember. He's talking history, stuff that happened to someone else at another time, but the lesson is, the impact is, for you, today, now. So, what is the impact? What should we draw out of this history lesson for today? Three things. God is faithful, so keeps his promises. So chapter 1, for instance, and verse 10, I don't know if you noticed as we heard the history, the reading, the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. When God made his promise to Abraham, I mentioned earlier, back in Genesis, he uses that exact phrase. He says to Abraham, look at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. You will be as many as the stars. And so now, hundreds of years later, Moses says, do you see what's happened? God has kept his promise. You are as many as the stars. Or at the start of Exodus, um, God says, I've come to rescue my people from Egypt and bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, in chapter 1, verse 25, Moses reminds this generation, when those spies came back from their, their, their checking out the land, they reported, it is a good, la good land the Lord our God is giving us. God promised the land would be good and fruitful. It is, just as he promised. Moses is saying God keeps his promises. So you can trust him to keep the promise to give you the land. And today, we can, we can add to that. We can see not only God kept his promises here, but we, could, we can look supremely at Jesus and say he's kept his promises. God promised he would send a king to rescue us. The king would be his son. He would do nothing wrong. He would be pierced for us, but he would live forever. And in Jesus, it all comes true. God is faithful to his promises. Now, God made lots of, lots of promises to us now, 
about getting to our promised land. He, he promises um, to forgive us through Jesus. He promises to strengthen us by his spirit. He promises to protect us, to guide us, and ultimately take us to that new creation. Jesus will return. Everyone will be raised. Evil will be ended. There will be a perfect new world. Really? Is God going to do that? God has never broken a promise. He is faithful. Secondly, trust and obey because God is powerful so he can keep his promises. When the first generation of Israelites rebel against God, um, Moses says to them, chapter 1, verse 29, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. He's saying you saw God fight in Egypt. You saw the plagues, the, the, the gnats and the locusts and the blood and, and everything else. You saw him part the Red Sea and you walked through and then he brought it over the Egyptians and killed them. You've seen, seen God take on the most powerful army in the world and make it look easy. So you should know God is powerful and can keep his promises. Or Moses reminds them, and talking to the second generation now particularly, that when those spies came out of, out of the, the checking out the land, they said, the people in the land were stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. The Anakites, I think, were particularly big people. So they're scared. They're scared of big people and big walls. Well, in chapter 2, um, he talks about how God has given various lands to some, some distant relations, um, relations of Esau and relations of Lot. So, for instance, the Ammonites are descendants of Lot, uh, who's Abraham's nephew. Anyway, they got a land from the Rephites, and we're told, chapter 2, verse 21, that this was a people who were strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites. And the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, as the Lord had done, this, and the, Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau. In other words, God's beaten big people. Or you get, the, you get this odd reference, we didn't, we didn't read it, but um, I don't know if you've read chapter, um, chapter 2, is it 2? 11. No, chapter 3, 11. This odd reference about... Um, King Og, who they, they defeated. Uh, verse 11, his bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and six feet wide. Why are we told that? Well, the point is, he was a big bloke. Very big. Like the Anakites you're scared of. But God defeated them. In other words, defeating big people, it's not a problem for God and the same goes for, for big walls um, Moses reminds them God has recently given them victory over two kings 
and chapter 3, verse 5, one of the kings, all these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars. Big walls, not a problem. Look back, he's already done it. And so he concludes chapter 3, verse 21, I commanded Joshua, who's going to take the people into the land, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, he's just been talking about, the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord your God will fight for you. There's the lesson. Look at the kings, they're like a test case. Look back and see what God has done. Big walls, big people, not a problem. He is powerful enough to keep his promises. And I said a moment ago, God makes lots of promises to us today. He promises uh, to help us fight sin in our lives. He promises to protect us and guide us. He promises one day to raise us um, from death to a new creation. Really? Sin? Sin feels pretty strong to me. A new creation, as I look around, um, feels pretty unlikely. Look at God's power. Look at God's power in creation, in the Old Testament, in this story. Look at God's power in Jesus. Storms, illness, evil. Look at God's power in the resurrection. Death to new life, to a new type of life, a new creation, in fact. God is powerful and can keep his promises. And thirdly, you can trust and obey God because he loves you. In chapter 119, he describes their journey like this. We set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. You know, years ago, I went on holiday to Egypt, and at one point, we went through Sinai. And it was strikingly terrible. <laughs> sand, sand, sand. Sun, sun, sun. Now, I was in a four-by-four four with air conditioning or something, probably. So it was, it was fine. But I remember looking around thinking, imagine arriving here with hundreds of thousands of people. And, you just, and there's just nothing. It is a vast and dreadful desert. How are you going to survive? And the answer was, God gave them water from a rock. And he gave them manna, bread from heaven. And he gave them quail, meat, meat to eat each morning. Moses sums it up in a lovely phrase in verse 31. Speaking about the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. God carried them. He cared for them. Water, manna, quail. He guided them by, by a fire or by a cloud. He provided for them, protected them, and looked after them. He loved them like a father. 
Now, somehow, that first generation managed to say, as if you notice it in the reading, as they see how bad the opposition are, they say, the Lord God has brought us out of Egypt to kill us in the desert. And Moses says, that simply isn't true. Look at what he's done for you. Look at how he's loved you and carried you. The problem is you don't like the challenge you're facing. You don't like big people and big walls. And you're scared. And you're focusing on what you can see. But if you could see God, you'd realize, you'd, you'd know he loves you. And, and of course he'll keep his promise. And if we're Christians, we can say exactly the same, only with even more depth. God showed his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes circumstances may make us doubt God. I don't know if you've been through that, you're going through that. What you see and what you feel makes you think, what are you doing, God? Have you got it in for me or something? And I'm not doing down the difficulty of that. But if we look at Jesus dying for us, I think we can say no matter what we are facing, God loves us. So there's Moses' sermon. He's calling for trust and obedience to God. And he points back to that first generation and says they, they should have trusted him and obeyed him, but they didn't. So look at them. Look and learn. Learn what you shouldn't do. And now it's you. Now it's you and God. Don't be, don't be like them. Now, today... See, God is faithful, powerful, loving, and trust and obey him. Now, you know, Moses isn't, isn't the only one um, who used this first generation as a warning. Um, in Psalm 95, um, we read... Today, if you hear his voice, that's God's voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. and I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The psalmist is referring to that first generation, a number of incidents, but in particular, this, this refusal to go into the land and saying, don't, don't be like them. Don't say no to God and have him say, you will never enter my rest or you'll never get into the land. And it's not just the psalmist. You know, hundreds of years later after that, the writer to the Hebrews gives the same sermon. In fact, he quotes Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
And then he fills it out a bit more. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Moses, the psalmist, Hebrews, they're all saying, the worst thing you could ever do is hear God speak to you and say no. That would be the worst thing in essence, to say no to the living God, the faithful, powerful, loving God, to say no to him. And it would be the worst thing in its consequence, because you will never enter his rest. Now, today, it might be you're someone who, who wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're, you're not too sure about this Jesus stuff. I think the question, if I can be like this, the question for you is, will you listen to God and trust what he says? You might think, yeah, sure, Nigel. You've got lots of questions about that, I'm sure. You've got lots of objections. You've got things to work through. Please do. Go for it. But as you think and, and consider and all the rest of it, at the heart of all that process is this central question. Will you listen to God and say yes? Please do. You might regret all sorts of things in your life. But to say no to God would be the worst thing you could ever do. Now, most of us here will be Christians, and we have said yes. But it's the same point for us. Moses, the psalmist, and Hebrews, they're all talking to God's people. And they're saying, I know you've got it in you to say no to God. So look back at that generation and be warned. Because it's you now. It's, it's you and God today. It's you and God. How are you going to respond as you hear him speak? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Now, I don't know where that will kind of come home for you. Um, I don't know what you're struggling to believe. Um, I don't know what sort of fight with, with sin you have. I don't know how you're tempted to believe the world around you um, will make you happy without God. I don't know what, your, what circumstances are making you doubt God and whether he loves you. I don't know where you might look for joy and security without God. I don't know your situation. I, I can describe mine to you another time. But whatever God is saying to you, Moses and the psalmist and Hebrews appeal to you, trust what he says and obey what he says. Don't harden your heart. And keep doing that today. Today is the 9th of October. 
Well, today, don't harden your heart as God speaks. This time tomorrow, it will be today. Today, don't harden your heart. And in a week's time, and in a year's time, and in ten years' time, it will be today. And Moses says, this generation, whoever's listening to me now, today, don't harden your heart. Listen to God and trust and obey. Why don't we pray we'd do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray your spirit would take your word and lead us to Jesus and help us, we pray, to not harden our heart but keep saying yes, yes, yes. We trust you. Please give us that faith, that trust, that belief. Please lead us in obedience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.